Yeah, come on, would you help me give the Lord a hand for all of those awesome, awesome uh, folks that were serving last weekend. Hey, I just wanna just celebrate. Uh, we are coming into the last weekend in November, y'all. Can you believe that? Hey, happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas. 29 shopping days remain. All right, all right, now that everybody's good and stressed out, uh, I wanna celebrate this last month as a church. Across all of our campuses, we've been able to do some incredible things. You guys have brought food for food pantries. You guys have signed up to partner and serve with a, a lot of organizations in each one of our communities. And last weekend, as you just saw, we were able to partner with 68 of them in a, in a 4SC Serve weekend. And well done. You guys are inspiring. You're encouraging. Uh, pastorally, we as a staff have been encouraged. And I hope you've been encouraged by just looking to your right and left and seeing so many folks being willing to put God first and being willing to themselves be last. Uh, it reminds me of Jesus and what he said in the gospel. In Matthew 25, he actually says, when the Son of Man comes to sit on his glorious throne and the angels are there and all the nations will be before him, that all the people will be there and he will separate them, some to the right and some to the left, goats and sheep. And he says, he'll say to the goats, I'll leave that for another day, but he says to the sheep, uh, hey, I want you to know that when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a prisoner, you cared for me. And when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And they looked at Jesus and said, when? When did we do these things? This is, we don't remember these things. And he says this really famous line. He says, whenever you did this for the least of these, you did it for me. And I just want you to know, church, I'm so encouraged that you are a church that doesn't just show up on Sunday morning to sing the words of the gospel or to amen the preaching of the gospel, but we are desiring to be a church that lives out the life of the gospel every single day. And you guys are doing an incredible job of that. And so I just am celebrating that in this series. Uh, today, we have a really special, special day. I know we've got folks that are here, maybe you're traveling and with friends and family, you're here and you're new with us for the very first time. Matter of fact, New Spring Church family, can we welcome those that are new with us for the first time? Met some folks out in the lobby and in the last service as well. Uh, we're getting today to conclude our Be Last series by hearing from our campus pastors. And before they come up here in just a moment, I just want to celebrate the heck out of each one of these guys because they are the real deal. Every one of them. And they care and love you so much. They love our community so much. They're going to preach today. And I want you, I want to just stir you up a little bit. I want you to laugh at their jokes. I want you to clap your hands and amen and give them some talk back, okay? And I want you to have a good time because these guys have given their life to serving God in your city and loving you. And then I also just want to point this out because this is super important as well. All of what we're doing as a church is to bring the good news of the gospel, both meeting physical needs and spiritual needs. And I want to say thank you. Before the first service, we already had 868 families that had given to the overflow offering. 868. And so I just wanted to say thank you, and I wanted to pray for the preach that we're about to receive and for the offerings and gifts that you guys are giving, that God would use them to bring his gospel into our communities. And so when I'm done, I want you to stand on your feet, clap your hands, and whoop, whoop, whoop for your campus pastor, all right? You with me? Let's pray. Father God, would you bless your church today? Would you give us what we need, Lord? Feed us, encourage us, challenge us, correct us. Would you fill up each one of these campus pastors with your words? And Lord, would you take the gifts that your people bring and would you use them for your glory to reach people, to love people, to serve people, both their 
spiritual needs and their physical needs, God, for your glory, our joy, and the world's good. We ask all of this in King Jesus' name, and we say together, amen, amen. Hey, would you welcome your campus pastor? Hey, guys. Y'all are very, very kind. Thank you for that. I appreciate it so much. Welcome. Um, it's, this part is a little odd because I know so many of you very, very well, and then I know we have people traveling that may live in Wisconsin and have never been to New Spring and don't know what we're about. So uh, I just wanted to begin by introducing myself. My name's Alan. I'm the campus pastor here in Anderson. Um, I love Anderson. I have grown up in Anderson and uh, love this church very much. I wanted to introduce you to my family as well. I've got my crew right up here to my right. Um, clap for me turning to the right because I always turn to the left. I do this, and if you see me. Also, I've always heard that the big screen added 10 pounds, and that is just not working for me. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, back to it. So this is my crew. Eddie's to the right of me. Charlie is to the left of Jill. Wyatt is to the left of Charlie, and Jill holds it all together and has. Um, and I'm super grateful for you and what you mean to our family. We love you. Um, and as I share a little bit of my story before I begin the, the preach, you'll know why. You'll, you'll clap even harder for Jill. Um, so I've got to give a little bit of context to my life and my experience, or, or someone may just get up and walk out without any level of context. So um, I'm going to tell you about kind of the last 20 years of my life with the church and uh, my experience with God. Uh, Jill and I started attending New Spring 20 years ago. Uh, we got very involved very quickly and uh, loved what was happening in Anderson. Um, things were growing really quickly. Um, there was a lot of excitement, a lot of salvation, and there was something new that was happening. And just as an aside, it feels that same way right now, that God is beginning to do something new through this church uh, that I'm really excited about. So shortly after we got involved, I was diagnosed with cancer, which at 23 is just this, I mean mind melt. It's like, what? how do you even navigate that? What do, you, what do you do at 23 with a cancer diagnosis? So I had two pretty major surgeries, and thankfully the cancer was taken care of, but what that did was it opened up this love that I had always had of painkillers um, and made them available to me. And so like these little things that had happened when you were a kid, like tonsils and wisdom teeth, suddenly, you know, with a cancer diagnosis, it's like, oh, well, you, you kind of get what you want. Poor 23-year-old kid, you know, he needs the medicines. He's had this major surgery. Um, and so I was very quick to ask for those drugs. Um, and shortly after the surgeries, after getting involved with the church, I was invited to be a part of the staff here. And I think in retrospect, there was this part of me that thought, well, you can't be a drug addict and a pastor at the same time. And I feel this thing brewing in my life. And so I try to run away from it through a career change. But wherever you go, there you are. And so I took all my stuff with me. Um, so I joined the staff here. I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job of keeping these things separate. Um, but my, this habit that I have of, of abusing these pills is continuing and it's getting worse. And so I'm starting to do things that are not honest to get the meds, and um, I'm doing a pretty good job of keeping it separated, but two years into my time on staff, Jill and I find out that we're pregnant, and I was incredibly excited. I love being a father. I was 
very excited to be a father, and we hadn't known if we were going to be able to get pregnant after the surgeries I'd had. And so I was incredibly excited, and the last time I preached in 2006, I announced to the church that we were pregnant, and the following week, we had an ultrasound. There was no heartbeat. And so I basically turned my back on God and the church and anything spiritual and said, there's one thing that provides me comfort, and it's this little white pill, and I'm going to use that to make it through this. And so no longer was I like managing this addiction uh, and managing my life. The addiction overtook my life. And so it wasn't long before the church started asking questions. Hey, are you okay? What's going on? How can we help? Um, and over the course of six months, they took step after step after step to try to engage me in conversation, help me through this thing that was beginning to take control or had at that point taken control of my life. And I just lied and manipulated and kept them at arm's length until ultimately they had to fire me. And whenever I share that part of my story, it's really important for you guys to know they did everything they could do to help me through that and I would not receive the help. And a person who won't be helped can't be helped. And so that's the situation that I put them in. And ultimately, they had to, they had to let me go. And it was 100% the right decision. And so in 2007, I really began circling the drain after a job loss, a stint in rehab, until ultimately in 2011, I end up in the hospital. And when I get out, my wife says, you can't come home because I'm afraid Eddie might find you dead on the floor. And it was 100% the right decision. And I'm super grateful for you being courageous enough to make that call because it was a hard one. And so it was at that point that I felt like I was left with two possibilities. I was either gonna die or I was gonna figure out a way to get over this little bottle of pills. And over the course of the coming months and years, um, I got honest about what was going on in my life. I got plugged into some community with some people who loved me and encouraged me. And man, I just wanna to say to y'all, I see you. Like I see you out there and I recognize that it's not easy and you're doing it and I'm proud of you. And, and this church is a church that's not just going to welcome you, but we will be marked by you. So I want you to lean into what God is doing here because you're needed. You're not tolerated, you're needed. And so step in to the work that God is doing in this community and the recovery community because something special is coming. And so that's what I experienced in my own life through getting plugged in with some people who loved on me. I learned to make coffee and move chairs and do all the things. Then I started chairing a meeting here and there and leading a couple of things. Um, and my life got put back together. I was able to move back in with Jill after a car accident in which I broke my leg, refused painkillers, and woke up on a morphine drip. And God saw me through it. And he's faithful to do that for you. And so today, I wanna take some time to celebrate the way God invites us into community with him and leads the way for us, the posture that Jesus kept. So I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna spend the bulk of our time in Matthew 6, 33. Father, may the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. I want nothing more than that. God, if there are things that need to be said that aren't written down anywhere, Lord, will you bring them to mind? And if there are things that need to be skipped over, 
Uh, I pray that you would do the same. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these people. Thank you, Lord, for redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna spend the bulk of our time in Matthew 6, 33. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And as we explore the meaning of this verse, I don't wanna skip over the fact that like, God has given us a word that a single, a single verse of which we can stew on and meditate on for days and days and weeks and weeks. And so I want, I want the process of kind of navigating this verse to help illuminate the depth and breadth of the scripture. If you think about that phrase, seek first, th- there's an implied reality in that. And what it means is, I need something I ain't got. Like, you're not called to seek if you're totally sustained. You're called to seek when you lack something. When I go to the kitchen at night, because dinner was five hours ago, and I'm a little bit hungry, and I raid the pantry, and then I raid the fridge, and then in desperate moments, I grab that freezer-burned ice cream out of the back of the freezer. Um, The reason I'm seeking those things is because I'm in need. And so when God calls us to seek, we have to recognize that we have need, and when we have need and we respond to that need through seeking, we express a humility that is necessary for God to do work. As long as I kept God like this, I didn't express a need for him. Like, I, I'm, I'm Not that I have any capacity to keep God out of my life, but like love doesn't force itself. So I'm not gonna be able to stiff arm God and expect him to work my life out. But when I got honest and I invited him in, uh, he developed a humility in me that was created ground in which he was able to work. Humility requires the ability to admit that we're not always right. I'm here to tell you today, you are not always right. And I know that that news channel that's on in the morning and in the evenings affirms all your political and social beliefs. I know that that social media feed, that algorithm has gotten tweaked just right to tell you exactly what you wanna hear. And you know what I wanna hear? You're right, Alan. That's great. That belief is spot on, yes. Because that's what I want. It's affirming to me. But we're not always right. And so the posture of Jesus was to seek first, and he invites us to do the same. How many parents are in the room? Lots of parents. Well, I was an arrogant adult pre-children. I remember telling Jill multiple times, our kids will never do that. I, what, what are they doing in their home? Like, that they would act like that in public? And then I'm in the grocery store with Eddie. I can say his name because he ain't in here for this one. And I'm pushing the cart, and we pass the place where he's normally flagged down because he's a cute three-year-old and given a cookie, and he wants a cookie. The problem is it's 4.45, and Jill has worked hard on dinner, and if he eats a cookie, I'm gonna get in trouble. So I tell him, hey, we can't have a cookie. And what does he do? He loses his ever-loving mind. I mean, I'm talking about he's fighting and flailing. I didn't buckle him into that little canvas strap, so he's trying to crawl out of the cart to run to the cookie place. I can't stop him. Eventually, I just have to pull him out of the cart, leave my half full full cart of groceries in the middle of the aisle, and get him to a car so I can restrain him in a little seat. And in that moment, I was like, I said, this would never happen, and here I am, that guy. And those of you laughing hard have been in that boat before. You're like, oh, man, I remember. 
and it's no fun, but I thought that something would be a reality that simply was not. It wasn't the reality of the situation. And so we need those moments that humble us um, because it creates a posture in which God can work. I want you to remember today that our posture precedes our position. Jill puts it this way. She'll look at me sometimes and she'll say, you're right, but you're not right in the way you're right. Because I love to be right. And I love to be right when you're wrong so that I can let you know the way in which you're wrong. I don't know why I find satisfaction in it. It's very strange, but it's true. And so God works in this posture of humility when we carry ourselves into a situation that could be, you know, a conflict or disagreement, but when our posture is correct, God's able to work regardless of the disagreement on position. As I was reading this verse, one way I put it was that Jesus was less concerned about being right than he was about being last. Now, I know that that phrase might hit some people on, let me just say it for the room, Jesus was always right. He lived a perfect life. He gave us perfect teaching. But I think at times, we think that the, the individual things Jesus taught trump his posture. And let me, let me tell you why I think he was more concerned about being last than he was about being right. Think about the cross and how Jesus arrived at that death. He's betrayed by one of his 12 closest people, one of the disciples. So through a bribe and a lie, Judas betrays him, goes to the religious elite of the day who have an ax to grind against Jesus and they see this as an opportunity to gain power. They go to a, uh, um, a government that is uh, occupying the region that is full of hate and sin towards the people and they leverage that government to arrest Jesus, beat him, try him, hang him on a cross. There's nothing right about that and yet Jesus stepped willingly into it. There's nothing right about it. Everything about the road to the cross is wrong and yet Jesus suffered it because his posture preceded his position. And so I want us to be people that live that kind of life. Lee used Philippians 2, and I want to just note a specific uh, portion of it. Com make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. If you think about being of one mind, there's no way that the whole of the Christian body can agree on every issue. Fair? If I pulled 10 of you on stage and we asked 10 questions about some modern situation, would we all agree? We would not all agree. So it's not calling us to be some strange, homogenous, you know, blob of humanity that just agrees on any issue. It's calling us to be of one mind in the posture with which we present ourselves demonstrating mercy and faithfulness and surrender because that's what Jesus did. He surrendered his entire life, laid it down that we might have life. And what a gift that that is. The true message of the gospel is rarely shouted, rather it's delivered by invitation. 
The second thing I wanted to hit today, seeking with the right posture yields righteousness. And I wanted to read this over you as as soon as the decision was made that that I was gonna lead the Anderson campus, I sat down and I wrote a bunch. Um, And one of the things I wrote was this, and it's a bit on the nose, so like gird up your loins. The risk for most of the people attending the Anderson campus is that they persist in a misplaced belief in their self-sufficiency. There are some of us who were blessed to be shaken out of that false sense of security but without the implosion of our worlds, we'd have failed to ever understand our real need for the redemption offered by God. Desperation is such an incredible gift. And what I want to impart to this room, and I struggled with that word, man, that's a hyper-spiritual term in in some contexts, but I just wanna offer you something that God has given me when we're able to see the true desperation that we have for restoration with God, it creates such a desire to live in communion with him that it becomes easy because we know what it's like on the other side. But when my, when my pet's sin is easily concealed and nobody really feels the consequences of it but me, I'm allowed to persist in it year after year after year until I'm 70 and I'm looking, out, looking back on my life and I wonder why I have this thing that I never dealt with. And I don't want that for you. And so I'm asking you today to look at the heart and ask yourself a real question and pause and wait for the answer of God, what are you looking to take out of me that I might be closer to you? Because it was such a... I did not know how to be really honest until I was fully fledged in addiction and God pulled me out of it. So if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to remember that there's still a God out there who's a good father and he's pulling his kids out of the pig pen. He's still out there and he's still doing that and he's faithful to continue to do it and we get to be a part of it. So number two is seeking with the right posture yields righteousness. This became really clear to me as I was walking around the house about six months ago. My dad passed away in August a year ago. And so when when that happens, if you've lost someone close to you, you probably um, are familiar with the fact, you, you think about the person a lot and you think about them in some odd contexts. And so on this day, I'd gotten up early and I'd gotten like the tax stuff together because I knew I needed to finish the taxes that night. And I went to work, I worked a long day, went home, threw the football with the boys, did the dinner thing, after dinner, hung out. And about eight, nine o'clock, I'm going around. It had been cool that day, but it was gonna be cold that night, so the heat had kicked on. And my dad would have been like, hey, we don't live in a barn. If the heat's gonna be on, you gotta close that window. So I'm going around, I'm closing the windows, and I'm picking up all the shoes, I'm cleaning off the table, And as I'm standing at this, and I can see the window in my mind, the the window to our dining room, I'm going to push it up. And I had this thought, my dad did all this stuff. It's like, okay, great, dad did all this. And then as I was thinking about it, it was like, I never even had an awareness that he was doing that. Like I didn't, when I was 15, I didn't think about the fact that dad's doing the taxes, right? 
I mean, when I say right, y'all can at least give me a right back. Dang, I need a sip of water up here. I'm trying to engage y'all and y'all just out there being silent. Help a brother out, come on. So like, I'm doing all these things and I had no recognition that my dad had done them for years until I was doing them. Righteousness cultivates a recognition of what God has done for you and a desire to do more of what he does for you. So like when I do the things that I'm called to do, it cultivates a love of the Father in me. And listen, here's what I wanna say very bluntly. The Western church does not do a very good job of teaching this. The Western church says, here are the things you need to do. Now check the boxes off because that's what Christians do. There's no box to be checked. What there is is an invitation to more through a life that's lived righteously. And it's not that, oh, God loves me more because you're being righteous. It's I love God more because I see how Jesus lived. Like that's a crazy truth and we miss it so often because we're like, oh, I got... I gotta go to church because if I don't go to church, God's gonna be mad, wrong. Come to church because God will cultivate a love for the Father in you when you're with the people of God. And so there are four specific things I wanna hit here. The first is community. I want you to know that this group right here saved my life about 12 years ago. And some of y'all are scattered around because you knew you were gonna leave at some point and you didn't wanna sit in the front. But like these people saved my life. They were there when I did not know which way to go. And we wanna be a church that invites you in to meaningful community. Like you may not be aware, we have a Bible study that meets every Wednesday morning. We have a Bible study that, is Riley in here? Riley's not in here. Uh, The campus pastor before me who basically taught me how to do this thing, he leads a Bible study every Friday morning. We have a women's Bible study that meets on Tuesdays that's been meeting in our church for 20 years. She's got way more tenure than I do. We've got groups that you would be welcome into. There's a recovery ministry that's thriving in this church. There is an opportunity for you to step into what God is doing here. And so I'd invite you into that. Have a conversation that leads to that. The second place that we see uh, righteousness is in our charity and acts of charity. You know, when we talk about our wallets, people get a little squirmy, and I get that. But what I want you to hear is that God's call on your life is to work out what you believe this book teaches on money, and then do it. Like, ain't no manipulation in it. I'm not trying to get something. They ain't gonna give me a raise if y'all all write a check today. My desire for you is that we be people that live authentic lives that are consistent with what this book teaches on scripture or on giving. This is the scripture, what this book teaches on giving. There's a, um, there are all kinds of Old Testament passages that I don't understand that deal with our finances. Like it talks about leaving the corners of your field uh, unharvested so that the migrant can glean from it. Like, I just got weeds, so I don't know if that applies to me. There's a year of Jubilee where everything that's owned goes back to the original owner. We don't really have a cult. So like, for me, those things aren't necessarily a part of charity. But the word seems pretty clear on the tithe, being a 10% uh, gift that comes to the church and that offerings are a part of what the church does to see the kingdom of God move forward. And listen, 
this is connected to the reward of righteousness in the same way. And so I wanna invite you into that. And if you have questions about it, call me and come see me and we'll go through the annual report and talk through all the things. The third thing that I wanted to hit is serving. Sherry Moorhead is our guest services director. Y'all should clap for her very loudly right now. If Sherry were not here, uh, nothing outside of this room would function at all and the doors would always be locked and the bathrooms would be a mess and there wouldn't be nice smelly lotion sitting on that little table in the bathroom. Sherry makes all that go and when we were talking about this message, she said, I saw God for the first time through serving. Listen, end of sentence, point over. You have the testimony of a woman who's been serving God in this church for 21 years who found him through service. When I got clean, service was the thing that brought some humility because you know what? I had never been the person to make the coffee. Somebody else always made the coffee for me. And sometimes you just need to make a pot of coffee and give it to somebody else and that matters. All right, the fourth thing I wanna hit and y'all are gonna say this doesn't really fit is honesty or authenticity. The biggest knock against the Christian church is that, well, y'all say one thing and you act a different way. And so what I'm inviting us into is a life that's lived honestly, even with the ugly parts of it, because God's faithful to be with you through that. So whatever it is that you feel like, oh, I can't invite somebody into that, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And when you do, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I wanna invite you in to all that. Here's something that I think is important to note just for um, an audience as diverse as this. C.S. Lewis wrote in the Screwtape Letters that the goal of Satan is simply to make the world so noisy that man cannot hear the voice of God. Your story's probably not as drastic and stark as mine is. You're probably not enslaved to pills that are causing you to nod off at the dinner table and um, check out for three days at a time. That's probably not your story. Your story is much more likely to, to be a life that's lived with such seemingly insignificant distractions that you give away the best for something that seems good. Don't give away the best for something that seems good. The last thing I wanna note is gonna be two passages of scripture two passages of scripture. Um, look at your neighbor and say, seek first the kingdom. Say, seek righteousness. Good. And all these things will be added unto you. Oh, I didn't even ask y'all to do that and you did it. Thank you. Can I tell you that if the creator of the universe promises you all things that you ought to do what you can do to receive it? Yeah, it's wild, right? Like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And man, it's my, that's my testimony. Like, I tried to do it on my own. It stinks, it's miserable. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, not my worst enemy. The fact that that picture can be on the screen at the outset of this message is miraculous. It's a miracle. And it, wa it wasn't some transcendent one-time decision. It was these simple acts of seeking the kingdom and pursuing righteousness one day at a time until it got better and better and better. So I wanna read the bulk of that uh, passage in Matthew 6. We'll start in verse 25. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So he begins with an emotional need, freedom from anxiety. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Then he transitions to a physical need. So we've got the emotional need and the physical need in that first verse. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And if you have a Bible, I want you to underline that word more in it. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So this passage has gone back and forth between emotional need, spiritual need, or emotional need, physical need, emotional need, physical need, and right here in the middle, he provides a spiritual solution to both of those. And that is the more. And so the invitation is for freedom from this constant fear of provision or lack thereof, or freedom from this emotional distress that is dominating your life because there is a spiritual solution to that. The solution is faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. I want to conclude by taking a look at Jesus as he stood before Pilate after he was betrayed and arrested because I think it's one of the most beautiful examples of the posture in which we're called to live in all of Scripture. Matthew 27, 11 says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. Doesn't even answer him, just refers to his own words. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Our desire, my desire, I won't put this on y'all, in that scenario, everything in me wants Jesus to defend himself. It's like, de defend yourself. This, everything about this is wrong. And yet Jesus does not even speak to how wrong the situation is, much less offer a defense. Jesus allows his posture to be his defense. What he communicates by his silence is, look, look at my life. I don't need to explain myself to you because my life explains everything about me and the God that I serve and am. My, my life is enough. And what I want for our campus is the gift of the same posture. 
that when we encounter something and it seems sideways and we don't like this, that our posture would be, listen, I love you. I'm here for you. I want the best for you. I see God at work in you. That our posture is filled with such humility and faithfulness that like we don't have to argue about a position Culture's going to tell you the opposite of that. Even Peter, he grabbed a sword and cut the guard's ear off when they were arresting Jesus. And Jesus picked it up, put it back on, and said, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. God is your defender. And he is sufficient in that. And today I think there's a special invitation for this room in that posture. Would you guys stand for me? We're going to enter into a time of response, and and as we do every week, you can respond through communion. You can respond through giving. We have folks that will pray down front. If you have no idea what any of this Jesus stuff is about and you just want to continue a conversation about that, we have a cross where somebody will be available to talk to you. But I'm going to tell you what I want. We'll see how this goes. I walked down and I looked at Brad before the, we walked up here and I said, there's a desperation in the room that can do something. A group of people desperate for God to work and recognizing our own shortcomings, failures, inadequacies, but that are willing to allow God to work through us, that can change a city. So I wanna invite you would, you, would you bow your heads for me? This is what I would ask. If you're a person who would say, man, God plucked me out of that pig pen and he rescued me, would you, that type of person is gonna be the tip of the spear for our church. Would you mind just coming down to the front and praying for that for our church? If if you're a person who would say, man, my life is marked by God pulling me out of the muck and the mire and making me a new thing and whatever goodness I have in my life comes from him, would you just come and pray that God would instill that desperation in our church? And so, Father, as we enter a time that is only for you, Lord, your people, your people are Your people are humbly acknowledging that you can do what we can't. And God, you are faithful to honor humility. And so God, I just ask that you would do that. Lord, fill our church with desperation that becomes a fertile ground for you to work. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take this time to pray.